With that, go ahead and stand with me as we read Psalm 100 this morning. These are the words of David the psalmist as he says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's pray together. Father, as we read these words and apply them to our heart and to our life, as we walk out this morning, may we remember and maybe may we be thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, The Joy of Thanksgiving. I use that word because it's here in this chapter, The Joy of Thanksgiving. In 1604, King James came to power in England. We hear his name often because it's named after one of our most, if not our most famous translation, the King James Bible. He was relatively tolerant to other religious opinions except for those who openly criticized the Church of England. So secret congregations began to form as dissenters left their persecuting uh, churches. One such group was formed not too far from Sherwood Forest in a small village of Nottinghamshire called Scrooby. Not Scooby, Scrooby. <laughs> the authorities found out about them and they decided to flee to Holland where they had heard they could practice their faith freely. So in 1608, they made it to Amsterdam, and in 1609, they migrated in mass to Leiden, Holland. The majority of this group, led by a man named Pastor John Robinson, were still in Leiden in 1620. Joining with a few followers, yet in England, they decided to travel to the new world that's here, the group in Holland hired a ship called the Speedwell, and another ship was hired in London called the Mayflower. They planned to meet in Southampton, England, and to sail together to Northern Virginia. They met in Southampton on July the 22nd, but the Speedwell had begun leaking on the journey from Holland, so they spent a better part of a week patching that ship up. They finally set sail on August the 5th, but the Speedwell was leaking again, so they stopped in Dartmouth for repairs. On August the 21st, after the Speedwell was patched again, the two ships set out for, Americas, for the Americas, but about 300 miles in, out to sea into the journey, the Speedwell began to leak again, and it was determined that the ship was not seaworthy. The two ships returned to Plymouth, England, where they abandoned the speedwell. The cargo was transferred to the Mayflower, and while several of the frustrated pilgrims simply went home, most of them crammed themselves onto what was now a very crowded boat. Finally, on September the 6th, remember that date, September the 6th, the Mayflower departed Plymouth, England, and headed for America. She was carrying 102 passengers, including three pregnant women. Now, ladies, I know it's not comfortable being pregnant, but you should try going out on a boat <laughs> for a few months of your pregnancy. Bless their hearts. One baby was born on the voyage, but another young boy died of pneumonia. On November the 9th, again, they left on September the 6th, 
On November the 9th, they sighted Cape Cod after 66 days at sea. Because of the delays caused by the leaking speedwell, many of them had spent the better part of four months on the boat. Arriving much later than expected, they erected hasty shelter, shelters, but they simply were not prepared for the harsh New England winter. It's unfortunate that they didn't come to Texas. Amen? Because nearly half of the group died before spring. By pers uh, persevering in prayer and aiding, uh, being aided by friendly in Indians in the area, those remaining reaped a bountiful harvest that next summer. The grateful pilgrims declared a three-day feast in December of 1621 to thank God and to celebrate with their Indian friends. It was America's first Thanksgiving. I love Psalm 100. I'm going to read it to you again. And the truth is I could do a series, and I'm not going to do that this morning, I promise. But I could do a series on Psalm 100. Every word is powerful. Psalm 100 says this. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Now, again, he says a lot right there. Uh, and I'll get to shout in just a minute. But he says all the earth. Notice he doesn't say, this is David the psalmist, he doesn't say all the Israelites or all the Jews. He doesn't say that. What he says is all of the earth. There should be something universal about praise because God created the earth. He created all of us. And so all the earth ought to join together if not all the time, at least once a year to worship God and thank him. All the earth. Verse 2, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It's he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now notice the attitude that we're to have when we go before God. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now listen to the key words. Shout, joy, joyful, thanksgiving, praise, good, thanks, love, and faithfulness. Those are powerful words in and of themselves. Let me ask you this. If your heart, your character, were reduced and printed in a single paragraph like this, what words would stand out the most? Would it be shout, joy, joyful, thanksgiving, praise, good, love, faithfulness? Or would it be different words? If your life were encapsulated in a single paragraph, Make it your goal that these are the words that would encapsulate you. The first word of the chapter is the word shout. It's really our, our, our word for the day, shout. Um, it's an interesting word. Now, before you start screaming, <laughs> he's talking about the attitude that we're to have when we come into worship. He's talking about worship here. The attitude that we're to have when we come into worship. Now, this word shout has a tremendous history. We have been studying Joshua on Wednesday nights. I encourage you to come on Wednesday nights to our Wednesday evening Bible study. And we're going through the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 6, we have recently studied 
how the Israelites were instructed to walk around the walls of Jericho once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, they were to walk around it how many times? Seven times. On, that, on, on the first six times, in fact, all six days, they were to walk around in deafening silence. They were to be completely quiet. Those were the orders of God. Don't say a word. They couldn't be out there going, this is stupid. We've been doing this five, five days now. Nothing's happening. What kind of strategy is this? Nothing. Or typically what armies would do, I assume, is as they're, they're coming up to the walls of, a, of an enemy city, they're berating the enemy. They're mocking them. These crummy walls or you're all going to die or whatever they're going to be. None of that. It was just dead silence according to God's prescription. And then the seventh time around, on the seventh day, God told them, wait, 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 wait until that time. And then when they went around the seventh time at a prescribed time, God said, okay now. And they were all supposed to shout, which is exactly what they did. All the Israelites, two to three million of them, began shouting. And God did this amazing miracle. He brought the walls down right in front of them. Gave the city to them. Now, isn't that interesting? I, I find myself wondering, what if it was a whole bunch of Americans instead of Israelites? First of all, we would not have made it the six days without a lot of grumbling. There would have been committees formed. We'd have split into two political groups. It would have been a mess. And then on the seventh day, when it came time to shout, I wonder if there wouldn't be a lot of Americans, even Bible-believing Baptists, that would be around the wall going, yay, God, yay. Can you imagine three million people? Those walls would still be there to this day. They shouted, and they shouted with all their might. They were all in. That's what the psalmist is saying here. When you go to worship, be all in. I love what the praise team said this morning, what Roxanne uh, shared with you, and what um, uh, Michael, our, our youth pastor, shared with you, that we are to be all in when we come in to worship God. Shout. Now, this... I found fascinating. I just came across this, did a search on the word shout in the Bible. Did you know that that's not the last time there would be shouting in Jericho? Did you know that this would not be the last miracle performed in Jericho? In fact, the shouting you're going to hear in a moment and the miracle that you're going to see is, in my opinion, and I'm right, even greater... <laughs> than the miracle of knocking down the walls. A greater miracle than that in Jericho in the midst of shouting. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Mark 10, verse 46. It says this, this is speaking of the disciples and Jesus. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, by the way, same Jericho, same Jericho. It's been destroyed, rebuilt over the years, and now it's a, a, a city where Israelites or Jews live. In fact, it was an important city. A lot of priests lived there. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, 
he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Let me stop right there. Jesus goes through Jericho, again, the same, same town, been rebuilt. And as he's leaving the city, he's there with his disciples, uh, somebody begins to shout out to him. Now, first, what's interesting is what he's shouting. He says, Jesus, son of who? Son of David. That is a reference to the Messiah. And he shouts out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the disciples are there. They've seen Jesus heal many people. And by the way, do the disciples, are they able to tell that he's blind? Absolutely. There's no dark shades that blind people would wear back then. It was very obvious they could look at him. First of all, he's begging on the side of the road. And if he's begging on the side of the road, that meant something was wrong with him physically. And it was very easy for them to determine that he was blind. Now, the disciples had seen many blind people before having been healed by Jesus. And so the disciples, knowing that Jesus had power to heal this man, of course, they said, listen, uh, we hear you, brother. Come, come with us. We'll, we'll help you to Jesus because today is the day you're going to get healed. Did they say that? Oh my gosh. What did they say? Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. So he said, of course, oh, you're right. I don't mean to cause a fuss. I'll just go home quietly. You see, he didn't do that at all. He knew this was his shot. Somehow he had heard about this amazing person that people were calling the Messiah. He'd heard that he had healed other people. He knew this was his chance. He'd been here days, weeks, months, or years probably, and nobody could help him. But he heard there was one who could. And now he's in the area. He's not going to miss this chance. And so he starts shouting. They come to him, tell him to shut up. And what does he do? He just starts shouting even louder. So he gets the attention of Jesus. And Jesus says, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, by the way, for a beggar, that's the only possession he would have had. Throwing it, he doesn't care. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. So uh, go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now to me, isn't that amazing? Same place, Jericho. Shouting takes place in Jericho and a great miracle. And I say it's a greater miracle because in the first miracle, thousands of people died. In this miracle, someone was healed. God did some recreating in this, in this miracle. And so to me, I believe it is more substantial. Also, it involved Jesus Christ. And so what a day, what a miracle. But what do they both have in common? Shouting. Isn't that interesting? So the word shout in our passage today in Psalm, in, in Psalms, as well as here. 
David is telling us, and the, and the, the writer, uh, the gospel writer is also telling us that when we shout, it's a part of worship. He's telling us to worship passionately, fervently, gladly, joyfully, thankfully. Those are the words that he uses. So today, in this week of Thanksgiving, that is how our worship should be. I mentioned to the early service that I don't know how atheists do it. First of all, how, how do they do Thanksgiving? Who, do, who are they thanking? <laughs> who do you think? And so on the way out, one of the, one of the new members uh, to our church came out and he said, he said, Pastor, and he had told me this testimony before that he used to be an atheist. He said, I'll tell you exactly how atheists do it because I used to be an atheist. He said, I hated Thanksgiving. He didn't have anybody to think. He said, I hated it. He said, I hated Christmas too. I hated all the lights. I hated, I hated all of it. He said, now that I'm a Christian though, it has no meaning to me. And he loves those holidays. He loves Thanksgiving. Now, I'll tell you this. You, here's, here's the goal for you to be shouting for joy this week. That's what he tells us to do. But you cannot shout for joy when you're shouting in anger. You cannot shout in joy when you're shouting in bitterness. You cannot shout for joy when you're complaining. So here's my challenge to you today. If you're really serious about being thankful to God this Thanksgiving, I've got a few directives for you this morning. Are you ready? Now, I've said this before, I, I say it fairly regularly, but I'm going to put it on this one as well because, and you know where I'm going with this, this week, this is my challenge to you, it's a one-week challenge. It's not a diet. You don't have to go to a liquid diet or fast for a week, amen? Now, you'll, you'll, you'll probably wish you had. Here are my directives. There are three of them, and they are very simple and straightforward. Directive number one, for one week, no complaining. Because you can't give thanksgiving to God if you spend the whole week complaining. By the way, and I, <laughs> I'll say this to you like the first service, because immediately, just like right now, people start turning to their spouse. <laughs> this directive is for you, okay? And I, I said this to them because this is, I've, I've been, it's been reported, this has happened that when you walk out of this place, you use my preaching as a weapon against your spouse or your family member and you beat them over the head with it. So this message is for you. For one week, I want to challenge you, one week will you make this vow as best you can. And I know you're flawed and I'm flawed. Okay, spouses, we, we confess that. But as best you can for one week, you're not going to grumble or complain about anything. How about that? Would you be willing to do that? I'll tell you what, based on the, your silence. <laughs> if you will be willing to join with me right now in committing before God as best you can to go one week without grumbling or complaining, raise your hand. Come on. It's not a trick. Straight up. I make that commitment to one week not to complain or grumble. Okay, God bless you all. You saw that, Lord. Did you see that? Okay. Yeah. Back in 1988, a Polish railway worker named Jean 
Grzebski was hit by a train. He was hit by a train and he survived barely. Grzebski was in a coma for 19 years in Poland. He woke up, true story, he woke up in 2007. To, that's the year the iPhone came out, by the way. To a whole new world. 19 years earlier, Poland was a communist state. Grzebski noted that back then, meat was rationed and there were huge lines at nearly every gas station. And he, and quote, he says, there was only tea and vinegar in the shops, end quote. But 19 years later, he awoke to a free nation where he said there were, quote, people on the streets with cell phones and there are so many goods in the shops, it makes my head spin, end quote. He was shocked when he woke up. How the world had changed, how Poland had radically transformed in 19 years. But something puzzled him. He said this, he said, what amazes me is all these people who walk around with their mobile phones and yet they never stop moaning and complaining. Interesting. These people had freedom and food and wealth greater than Poland had seen for many decades. And yet, Grzebski woke from his coma to find all they seemed to want to do was to grumble and complain. Isn't that interesting? If you don't get into the habit of thanking God for what you do have, you'll soon become ungrateful because of what you don't have. So, for one week, no grumbling. Challenge number two. I'm going to have you raise your hand in just a moment. Take a deep breath. This year, this week, on Thanksgiving, and for one week, you will not, this, this is your commitment now. Are you okay? Not one word about politics. <laughs> yeah. Because if you break number two, you're going to break number one. All right, pastor, I make this commitment as best I can right now for one week. I'm not going to say a word, no posts. I don't want to see your posts on Facebook. Not one word, not one post about politics. Okay, Lord, you saw that. By the way, there were fewer hands this time than last time. Don't you worry. Don't you fret none. I promise you those politics and politicians will be there next week. It's not going to fall apart without your whining, okay? It'll be okay. One week, no complaining, no politics. Number three. <laughs> you just did, so. <laughs> Number three, this is real simple. I'm going to ask you to focus. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but I want you to focus. Now, let me explain to you what that means. Focus. I want you to focus on things to be thankful for. Sometimes we struggle focusing on things to be thankful for. And again, that's the struggle of the atheist. First of all, he doesn't know who to thank because he doesn't believe in God. To be clear, Thanksgiving is not a, a, a holiday where we thank our parents for being good parents. That's 
Mother's Day and Father's Day. Thanksgiving is not a day where we go and thank our boss for giving us a good job. That, that's appropriate, but that's not what Thanksgiving is for. Thanksgiving is for God. We thank God for giving us certain things in life. You, you focus on your Thanksgiving to God this week. It's the writer Irma Bombeck once noted this. She said this, Thanksgiving dinners take 18 hours to prepare on average. 18 hours. They are consumed on average in 12 minutes. She said halftimes, football halftimes, take 12 minutes. She said, this is not a coincidence. So when I tell you to focus, I'm not saying you can't watch football, but that's not what you should be looking forward to Thanksgiving. It's not the turkey. It's not the food. It's not the dessert. It's not the football games. Thanksgiving, first and foremost, should be focused on God, thanking God. So focus on the things that we should be thankful for. You know the things. Our home. Whatever home that you have, our food, our clothes, our health, our country, our church, our friends and family, and most of all, for Jesus Christ. It's a simple idea, but so vital to our thanksgiving. Thanking God for his mercy in Christ. Watch this brief clip. What does it look like? Come on, you're like 50 years old. You should know how pie looks. 50? Come on, count to 50. Uncle Jeff, I've got some questions for you. Yes? Why do we have turkey on Thanksgiving? Because when cooked properly, every four or five years, it's delicious. Okay, so then why would we have green bean casserole then? Touche. Why does it have a look like the back of Uh, clearly it's not stopping you. Why does mom have a full plate of stuffing when she's on keto? Because carbs are comforting. Why can't I just lick my plate? If I'm in charge of the dishes, I actually encourage that.
I like that. All right, now, hit me with some of that whipped cream, girl. Amen. So focus your thanksgiving on Jesus Christ. There was a time where our nation knew how to do that. In 1789, President George Washington, our very first president, made this public proclamation. He says, by the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. And again, this is 1789. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God. Now, let me restate that. I find this interesting. He says, he begins the proclamation by saying it's not just the duty of the United States, but every nation on earth, which sounds a lot like the beginning of Psalm 100. He says, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress, that's right, both houses, <laughs> have made their joint committee requested to me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. I like that. A thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many single favors of Almighty God. Wow. That is thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 says it this way. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's why no grumbling and no politics. Because if you do those two things, you're not going to have peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to be peace. And speaking of peace, he says, and be thankful. Alex Haley, the author of Roots had an unusual picture hanging in his office wall. It was a picture of a turtle on top of a fence post. Here's a painting of him in front of his painting, interestingly. And there's that turtle on that fence post. When asked, why is that there, Alex Haley answered this way. Every time I write something significant, every time I read my words and think that they are wonderful and begin to feel proud of myself, I look at the turtle on top of the fence post and remember that he didn't get there on his own. He had help. <laughs> that is the basis of thanksgiving. For all the good is in your life and my life. Listen, we had help from God Almighty. So let us be thankful. Pray with me. Father, very simply, we come to you today and we make this commitment to you. That for one week, we're not going to grumble and complain. Now, true, we should do that our whole life. But right now, we're focused on one week, this week of Thanksgiving. No complaining and no politics because we know those cause us to lose our focus. And our focus should be on Thanksgiving to you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. For forgiveness of our sins. For cleansing. For hope for purpose in our life, for the joy that comes through the peace of Jesus Christ, and for the hope of our salvation and eternity in heaven with you.
Father, help us to stay focused on that this week. May this Thanksgiving be to you. As we pray, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you to begin that week of Thanksgiving right here, right now? It may be you want to just pray right where you are, kneel right where you are. There's room. Or maybe you want to come down and kneel on these steps. We have many people do this in the first service. Just come down and kneel for a few moments and say, God, thank you for your blessings in my life. Thank you for all the good things in my life because all good things come from God. And thank you for Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to do that? And maybe God is calling you to make a public decision. Maybe like in the first service, you would like to join with our fellowship and become a part of this congregation, this church, and serve God in this community through this place. Just come down and say, Pastor, I'd like to join. We'd like to join. Maybe you want to surrender your life to Christ or you want to make that public and become a candidate for baptism. Just come down and say, Pastor, I would like to get saved. I want to give my life to Jesus. Or if you've made that commitment this then say pastor i've made that commitment now make it public as god requires me to do and i want to be baptized if god is calling you you just want to come and kneel and pray say god thank you thank you for every good thing in my life here's your chance no one's looking around as you continue to pray all heads are bowed all eyes are closed would you stand right where you are and as you stand right now you come